Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. If you have your Bible here this evening, I invite you to take it. Maybe you can look there in your front of your pew and find a Bible and go towards the end. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 this evening. I would love for you to join me in Hebrews chapter 9. And we'll be looking at verses 11 through 28 tonight for our Advent Christmas Eve service. And so as you're turning over there, let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray together. Thank you for the occasion, Lord, that we get to come to now. As your people gathered together, having the privilege of opening our Bibles, and Lord, hearing a message from you. Father, we ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't believe that it's Christmas. I can't believe that it's Christmas. Tomorrow is Christmas. How many of you still have a little bit of shopping to do? Anyone? Well, good, because it's probably too late, right? Since I've had kids, I've noticed that things have just been going so fast. And many of you out there, you told me that the older that I get, the more I would see things get fast. And sure enough, it's becoming true. The older I get, the more I see things are just speeding up on a regular basis. And I've noticed another thing as well since I've had kids. Since I've had kids, I've noticed that everything's changed. Suddenly, I'm caring about insurance plans. All of a sudden, I start caring about things like school districts. Then I start caring about things like uh, things that I would have never even considered. Now, all of a sudden that I've had kids, everything begins to change. Matter of fact, just... A year ago, I went out and did something that I used to make fun of other guys for doing. I went out and I bought a minivan. The reason that I bought a minivan was really just, uh, well, it's three reasons, well, uh, four reasons. Three kids and a wife who wanted a minivan. But let me just say something. Now that I've got the minivan, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Those sliding doors, my goodness, you wouldn't believe that how nice that minivan is. And ever since I've started having a family and with my wife and beginning this great adventure where we have services like this. Many years are marked by an occasion like tonight, coming to a Christmas Eve service, singing wonderful Christmas hymns, gathering with your family. But you know, the more I realize just how precious life is, and realistically, the more that I want to pursue things that last for my children. I don't want to just pursue things that are going to be here today and gone tomorrow. I really want to enjoy every moment. And, you know, Facebook and Instagram and those kind of things that capture. I'm so grateful that Facebook now has memories. You know, you can look back and see what happened nine years ago when you posted something that didn't even make sense. But now you're looking at it and seeing all these different things. I'm able to look back now and I'm able to see all these different memories. You know, four years ago this time, here's a picture of my little girl. She's one year old and all of these fun things that we get to do. And so... And I think about my children, I really want to pursue things that last. And I wonder if there's anyone out here tonight that can relate with me. You're out there tonight and you desire to pursue things that last. Why is it that you and I want to have things, want to do things in this life that outlive us or that outlast us? Why do you have a longing for eternity? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity into the hearts of every man. 
God has put eternity into all of our hearts. And that God has also done something else. He's left us restless if we try to fill anything else in our lives besides Him. Now think about that. Could you just imagine how uh, this would leave us if God has placed within us this desire to have nothing else but Him that will do? What if God didn't fill that desire? What if God left us with this longing that nothing else could satisfy and He didn't tell us how we could ever be satisfied? That'd be pretty cruel, wouldn't it? It'd be rather unusual for God to give us this longing but not leave us any clue about how to satisfy whatever longing we may have. But thankfully, we are here tonight to celebrate the fact that our Christ has come. We're here to celebrate the fact that our God has made Himself known to us. This is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God telling you who were designed for eternity, you who have a longing for more than what's in this life, God whispers from that side of heaven and said, there is more. And I've shown you that there is more by sending my Son into a world that was broken, into a world that was marred by sin. I've sent my Son so that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. And so the way that Jesus, as He's on this earth, He tells us. He tells us that we are to store up for ourselves things that are in heaven. And the things that we store up in heaven are those things that last forever. And the only way that you and I can last forever is really one way. And it's by trusting in Jesus. So I'm so glad that you're here tonight. I'm so glad that you've decided to come to Oxford Baptist Church. And Oxford Baptist Church, we're all about Jesus. We love Him worship Him, we adore Him, and everything that we do in our worship service is all to proclaim Him. Matter of fact, I'm really glad that you're here tonight because you are able to catch the tail end of a series that we've had going since Thanksgiving. And that is this wonderful graphic that you have here behind me that you're looking at, this kingdom come. What we've been doing at Oxford is we have been studying the Gospel of Matthew. We just started the Gospel of Matthew. I went through the birth narratives back in September, I guess, with the church. We looked at it, but if you look at the first chapter of Matthew, then you'll notice that Matthew paints Jesus in a particular way. Matthew paints Jesus as the promised Messiah coming. The promised Messiah coming from the Old Testament. And so, as we think about Christmas... I wanted to take that first chapter and I wanted to show the church what the Bible's all about. Have you ever read the Bible or looked at the Bible? Sometimes the Bible can be a pretty intimidating book if you think about it. Some of you may have a translation in the Bible that's harder to read. It has a lot of these and thous and all the rest. Sometimes you look at a Bible and it's just difficult. So difficult to wonder what in the world does this temple and all these sacrifices and All these people going out and conquering a land have to do with Jesus coming to save us. How is the manger scene where these three kings or however many wise men there were coming and worship? What does all that have to do with what happened back then? Does it all relate? The answer to that question is yes. And the key to answering that question is how does it all relate? Well, the answer is just one way. How does the Bible relate together? Really one way. What's the Bible all about? It's about Jesus. And I want to show you a graphic here just, uh, just so that you can look at this here. What, one of the things that we've done is over the past few weeks is this is our website, OxfordBaptistChurch.com. And what I've been doing with the church, and I invite you to go there if you want to. You can catch up with some of the things that we've been doing. 
I have a notes tab over there to the right so that you can read a sermon. Sometimes I'm Southern and I talk sort of slow. It takes me 45 minutes to say something on three pages, so it probably takes you 10 minutes to read what I can say in 45 minutes, and so it's right there for you if you uh, would like to take advantage of it. And so what we've been doing at the church is we've been trying to answer the question, what is the Bible all about? And if I were to come and ask you to tell me what the Bible is about, and you were to say the Bible's about Jesus, then you would be absolutely right. You see, here's what the story of the Bible is, and this is good. Listen closely. Jesus has come. And the reason that Jesus has come is to bring us into eternal fellowship with Himself. Jesus has come. And the reason that He has come is He has come to bring us into eternal fellowship with Himself. Think about that just for a moment. I know if you're accustomed to coming to these services or living in a, in a Christian town you know, where everyone goes to church, that kind of thing, you can hear that phrase time and time again and it means nothing to you. But think about it just for a minute. The eternal God of the universe, this God who is all-loving, this God who is all-patient, all-caring, He's all-kind, He has summoned you to be in relationship with Him. You say, well, how has He done it? Well, this is the great thing. It takes the entire Bible to unfold the story of how God does it. So let me just briefly tell you what we've learned just the course of these weeks that we've been together. And what I want to do just very briefly is I want to take you through the Bible just very briefly, just with these few points that are going to be on the screen, just to show you how God was preparing the world to receive His King. So we learn first of the covenant with creation. This is in Genesis. What happens in Genesis? God created the world. He created the world and then He created it and He entered into covenant relationship with His creation. Now what does that mean? It means simply that when God created, He created for a purpose. And the purpose that He created was for you and I to be the benefactors of enjoying all of His goodness. So that's what He did. He entered into covenant the moment that He decided to create. Fast forward real quickly, we get to Genesis chapter 12, and we see God calling this man by the name of Abraham. But before we get to Abraham, we have Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us that everything went wrong. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the good news, is that even though we were sinners, God still chose to save us. It's almost like God was saying, I can't stop loving you. No matter what you do, I'll never stop loving you. And so what does He do? He goes to set forth and bring about His plan. We forfeited worshiping and obeying God. We rebelliously sinned against the life-giving, life-sustaining God. But no amount of sin would stop God from seeing His purpose come about. And so, what did God do? He tells us in the midst of mankind's sinning that He would redeem. And how He redeems is specific. He says that this seed's going to come from woman. That's what He does. So the whole plan of Christmas is in the very first pages of the Bible when God says He's going to redeem in a very specific way. And so what does God do? He begins to reverse the curse through the sons of Adam. There's Seth. Then there's Noah. Then there's this guy named Abraham. And God says through Abraham, it's through him that he's going to restore the blessedness of the earth. So if we fast forward real quickly, we've got creation, and then we've got Abraham. Then we come to a guy in the Bible named David. And 
when God tells us the story of David, the details get even more specific as we see that the one coming will not only be the son of Abraham, but he's going to be the son of David. This one who's going to come is going to be a king, but he's not going to be like David. Everyone knows about David, right? The first thing that you think about David is probably Bathsheba and his terrible mistake that he made. Well, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, but David had a failure, just like us. All have sinned, remember, and fallen short of the glory of God. But there would be a king that would come, and where David failed, this one was going to remain faithful. Where David lost the throne, this one whose coming's throne was going to be an everlasting throne. Then we fast forward very quickly. We get into the New Covenant. And if you read the Bible closely, you'll quickly pick up on a pattern. The people in the Bible have a sin problem. They just can't seem to obey, sort of like you and I. They're held captive by sin. And so what does God do? He sends these people called prophets. And they're sort of like the salt in everyone's wound. From the world's perspective, they're the ones that come and ruin the fun, ruin all the party. The prophets come. But the prophets come with a message. And the message that the prophets give to a people who have a sin problem is that God's going to give you a new heart. You have a sin problem, but you're not beyond redemption. You have a problem, but it's not beyond my repair. And so God enacts a plan. And what's His plan? He goes to give His people a brand new heart. And then He says this. He's going to give us a new heart. He's going to cause us to obey. Then He says that I will be your God and you will be my people. And this is where it gets really good. Then the question is, if God's going to do this thing, if He's going to give us a new heart, if He's going to enact, how in the world is He going to cause us to obey? What's His plan? And this is where it gets good. This is where Christmas begins to come from the pages of Scripture. So think about it. If sin's the problem, there must be a remedy for sin. In the Bible, the problem of sin is dealt with the shedding of blood. That's how you deal with sin. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So the Bible develops this system. Think with me. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? How did God deal with their sin? He covered their nakedness with the skin of an animal. Now for those of you who've ever had any type of thought, you know how you get skin from an animal. You don't just walk up to an animal and say, excuse me, little lamb, may I borrow your skin? No, no, that's not what happens, is it? The lamb was viciously slaughtered. Skinned. And then that skin was put on Adam and Eve. And God covered their nakedness with the skin of an animal. Blood was spilt to cover their sins. Blood was spilt to atone for the wrong that was done. But think about it again. When Abraham is going to worship, how does he worship? What does he do? He sacrifices. Think about it again. What was the final event that saved the Israelites from the death of Egypt? Do you remember? There was this blood that was shed of a lamb that saved them from death. And so God, what is He doing here? He's showing us the way that He's going to save. He's revealing more of His plan for us. It's not as if His plan evolved over time. It's been this way since the very beginning. Revelation says that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Nothing took Him by surprise. So God established a way for sin to be dealt with. And the way was through blood sacrifice. But He had to have guys who would slaughter the animals. And so they were called priests. But this system that God had, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant we have, it wasn't meant to last. 
the sacrificial system was meant to point people towards the final way that God would deal with sin. And the one way that God would deal with sin was He would offer His one and only Son as the perfect Lamb who would take away the sin of the world. Listen carefully. The law enslaves. That's all that can do. But Jesus has come to save. And the way that He has chosen to save us, listen, is by giving of His own blood for us. What's the importance of God becoming flesh? What's the importance, listen, of God being born? Only one reason. So that He can die. See, God doesn't have blood. He's Spirit. So if the way for mine and your sins to be dealt with is through blood, and the only one who's qualified to save is God, who's perfect, then He has to have blood. So He takes on flesh. He becomes flesh for you and for me. So that He could take the full penalty of my sin and your sin. So that He could become sin for us. So the people, they sort of knew this. It's sort of a good system. If you think about it, it's still the same way that many of us think about how God relates to us. The people said, okay, if I sin, then the remedy for that sin is sacrifice. Then, hey, this is okay. I'll just go live like I want to, and then I'll just make sure that I make it to the priest on the way home. So I'll go do whatever I want to do. As long as I see the priest, everything will be all right the plan that God established with the sacrificial system didn't really deal with the people's sin. All it did was cover it up without digging out the root. But God said, listen, He's not just going to cover the heart. He's going to give you a brand new heart. And so, if you open your Bible to Isaiah, and don't do it tonight because we don't have time, but if you open to Isaiah, you see God having this different attitude with His own system. He says, listen, don't even bring me your sacrifices. Your lips are close to me. You say the right things, but I see your heart, and your heart's nowhere near me. You could care less. So God says this strange thing. He says, I don't delight in your festivals. I don't delight in any of your sacrifices. But as soon as He tells them to stop sacrificing in Isaiah, He assures them that though their sins are as scarlet, they're going to be white as snow. Ezekiel says that the law is not good And the reason that the law is not good is that it didn't bring life. So this is where it hopefully begins to have a clear picture for you. Then the New Testament opens. After God says, don't sacrifice anymore. But your sins, they're scarlet now, but they're going to be washed white as snow. God says, don't sacrifice anymore. You still have a sin problem. I'm going to remedy your sin problem. And then all of a sudden, if we open the Bible and you were to read this, the New Testament opens with this tremendous exclamation. That everything that we had longed for, everything that we had needed, even if you didn't long for it, you still needed it. It's here. Tremendous joy has come to the earth. Salvation is here. Think about it. The people are they're full of hope. They're full of anticipation. Some so much so that they accuse a strange and eclectic uh, itinerant preacher named John the Baptist. They say, aren't you the Messiah? I mean, this guy has camel hair and eats locusts and wild honey. He's sort of a strange guy. Lives by himself. They say, John, you must be the Messiah. He said, he's not. And then as he's looking out in the crowd, John the Baptist, he looks out in the crowd and he sees one coming towards him. And as soon as he sees him, 
he said something strange about a man walking towards him. He says to the crowds, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know about you, but that's a strange way to refer to your buddy, right? Now, this wasn't just Jesus' buddy. This was Jesus' cousin. Imagine going up to your cousin and saying, Hey, man, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a strange way to refer to someone, isn't it? Why does John do that? He does that purposefully to show us what kind of salvation Jesus is going to give us. And then later on, as Jesus is facing His own sacrifice for our sins, He gathers with those who are His closest followers. And He takes bread and He breaks it. And He passes it around. And He says, this is My body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of Me. And then He takes a cup. And in that cup is something red. It's crushed fruit of the vine. And he passes it around. And he says this. Listen carefully. This cup is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, drink it, all of you. What was Jesus doing? What is Christmas all about? Christmas is all about God fulfilling His purpose to save. Christmas is about God doing what He promised to do. Listen. Christmas is about a God in heaven who loves you. Christmas is about a God in heaven who would never leave you. When the rest of the world may abandon you, there's a God in heaven who loves you. The Bible says that He demonstrated His love. He didn't just say, I love you. He demonstrated it. And then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And how did God do it? How did God give us this salvation? He sent His Son, eternal God, who is at the same time, even though He's eternal God, this Jesus, He is also the offspring of a virgin's womb. We sing about it, but have the words really sunk into our hearts? Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Listen, Jesus has come to give us not just any type of redemption, but an everlasting, eternal redemption. Listen to the Bible in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. When the Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. How much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, this Christ is the mediator of a brand new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer Himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by sacrificing himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once. And after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting Him. There is so much in this passage. And this evening, very quickly, three things. And when I say quick, I'm just going to read the points. Read the points. Three truths to show you that Christmas is about Jesus giving us eternal redemption. The first thing that I want you to learn tonight is that Jesus' sacrifice secures for us an eternal redemption. Because the sinless Savior died, mine and your soul is now counted free. But it's not just counted free for this Christmas. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it's counted free for Christmas forever. And every other day from the moment that you started believed, His sacrifice secures an eternal redemption. Number two, this evening, Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all. When Jesus came, He died one time for my sin and yours. One time for my sin and yours. And that second point is probably the hardest point for you to understand and me to understand. When Jesus died for your sin, He, 2,000 years ago, died for your sins past, present, and future. Everything. Every one of your sins. 
God knew about all your failures. But yet He still chose to give His life for you. And how many times did He give His life for you? One time. Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all. And number three this evening. And don't miss this. Jesus' sacrifice it means life for all of those who trust in Him. There is no greater sacrifice imaginable than for the eternal Son of God to give His life a ransom for many. There is no greater sacrifice imaginable than for the eternal God to give His life for you. See, here's the thing. Jesus has eternally changed the world. Even if you're here tonight and you don't believe in Jesus, it's undeniable that this one man has changed the way the entire world operates. And see, because He has changed the world, because He has come, He's given a choice. He's given a choice. It says here in the last verse, He's been offered once to bear the sins of many. He's coming. And He's coming a second time. And in that second time in His coming, He's not coming to deal with sin. He's already dealt with sin. But look at what it says here. He's coming to save those who eagerly await Him. You see, Jesus' sacrifice means life. But it's only for those who trust in Him. The Bible says it's appointed for a man once to die. It says it right here in Hebrews. It's appointed for a man once to die. And then after this comes the judgment. Now what is it that awaits those that had trust in Christ? What judgment awaits? Not a judgment for sin. That judgment has been dealt on our behalf to Jesus. He took your sins, my sins, my sorrow. And He made them His very own. All for you. All for me. See, here's the beautiful truth of the Gospel here. Because I believe in Jesus. It means that the penalty for my sin has been dealt with. I don't have to worry about judgment anymore. Because Christ has taken the penalty for my sin. But for those of you who don't trust in Christ... There is an expectation for judgment for you because here's the thing. If you're a sinner and sin has to be dealt with, who deals with your sin? You see, I've made a choice because I've responded to God's free call of grace to allow Him to deal for my sins for me. I don't have to bear the weight of my sin anymore. I gave it all to Jesus. Would you pray with me tonight? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wonder how many of you here tonight know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have given yourself, your sin, your imperfections, any good that you think that you can do, you've given it all to Jesus. How many of you have received His sacrifice for your sin? How many of you have responded to His call follow Him. Father, thank You so much for sending Your Son. For sending Him into the world to give us what we need. Giving us eternal redemption. And Father, as we trust in You, 
We pray that there are those here tonight that would respond to your call freely to follow Jesus. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for eternal redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.